Luke in chapter number 7 and verse number 36, page 1082. In your Schofield Bibles, the Bible says, One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, uh, wherefore, I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful story in the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the precious blood of Jesus. And our Father, I pray as we've met to worship that the Spirit of God uh, would teach us the things that we need to know uh, from this scripture, help me to communicate the message in a way that will please and honor you. God, you know every heart. You know the needs today. I pray you'd meet those needs in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I want to speak on uh, the subject paid in full. The choir was singing this song some weeks ago, and the Lord really spoke to my heart about it and, and uh, gave me this message uh, I've had it for some time now, and I believe this is the time God would have it delivered. Uh, here the Lord has received this invitation into the Pharisee's house, and uh, there uh, this woman comes in and anoints his feet. Now, when we think of sitting around a table eating, we think of sitting in a chair and, uh, you know, pulling up onto the table. Well, they didn't eat that way then. The tables were down lower. And they reclined with their feet behind them on, on a couch. Uh, and this explains the, the fact that uh, this uh, a woman was able 
uh, to anoint his feet. She was behind him uh, there, uh, and she anoints, of course, uh, or washes them with the tears and wipes with the hairs of her head, anoints with the ointment. Now, this was a common practice. In those days, they wore the sandals, and uh, the Lord has traveled about 21 miles, so uh, he's traveled a good distance, and in the traveling, the feet would become very dusty. And it was a common practice to have a basin of water at the door uh, to wash the, uh, the feet of the person that uh, uh, was doing the visiting. And, of course, the anointing with the oil, the olive oil and the spices. And uh, this was normal. Of course, the Simon uh, did not show this uh, uh, this common courtesy to Jesus, I think explaining that uh, he was not inviting him uh, for the right purpose, but no doubt probably to catch him in some way that he could accuse him. Uh, and of course, this is not the anointing be the week before his crucifixion. You have that uh, recorded in uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12, and that is a different anointing altogether. This is, this is a different uh, event here. Now, uh, the, of course, this Pharisee, he said, why, if, if he was a prophet, he would know that this is a sinner. This is a sinful woman. He'd have nothing to do with her. And, of course, the Lord was able to look in the heart. Simon didn't realize that. Uh, the Lord could see uh, what was inside. and So he gives a story uh, to Simon there, and he said, I have, I have something to say to you. He says, uh, say on. And he gives this wonderful story about this creditor who had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, that'd be about $85, and the other 50, about $8.50. So one owed 10 times as much as the other. But the Bible said when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And what a blessing uh, that that is. They had nothing to pay, and so he forgave them. What's the difference if you owe a million dollars or owe a hundred dollars? If you don't have any money, you can't pay either debt. And, uh, you know, there's a great lesson. Of course, uh, some people think, well, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not such a bad sinner. I've never killed anybody. And uh, I've never robbed a bank. And, and therefore, I think I'm all right. Uh, well, James said, if you keep the whole law and offend at one point, you're guilty of all. And we have nothing to pay. And so somebody has to pay it for us. Now, who paid it? Who paid the debt? The lesson that Jesus is trying to get across is that he's the one that paid it. Now, uh, here's the creditor and here's the two debtors. Uh, the debt has been owed. Uh, the, whatever the debt was for has been used. Maybe here's the creditor. Maybe he has a store. And uh, these people have come in and bought on credit but they're not able to pay their bill. But that does not mean that the bill is not owed. That does not mean that, uh, that the debt is not there. That if they don't pay it, then somebody else is going to pay it. In this case, the creditor 
takes the loss. The creditor pays the bill. Anybody that's business, of course, uh, realizes that. Uh, bad debts, you know. Uh, sometimes are, are, they're, you know, they're just a normal part of doing business, I think. Uh, that's, in fact, that's figured in. Uh, sometimes they say, well, they charge too much for this product. Or their interest rates are too high. Well, the fact of the matter is that you're paying for the deadbeats that won't pay. Or in certain cases, you may be paying for those that can't pay. Something may happen that's not foreseen. And so uh, the point I'm trying to make is that we owe a debt that we cannot pay. And it was growing every day. And there's a song that, uh, that goes along with that. Uh, the old account was settled long ago. Uh, that's an old song. And let me just read, read it to you if I could here. It said, there was a time on earth when in the book of heaven an old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top and many things below. I went into the keeper and settled long ago. Amen. Second verse says, the old account was large and growing every day. For I was always sinning and never tried to pay. But when I looked ahead and saw such pain and woe, I said that I would settle and settle long ago. Verse 3, When at the judgment bar I stand before my king, and he the book will open, he cannot find a thing. <laughs> oh, I like that. Then will my heart be glad while tears of joy will flow. Because I had it settled, and settled long ago. Then the fourth verse, O sinner, seek the Lord, repent of all your sin. For thus he has commanded, if you would enter in, then if you should live a hundred years below, even here you'll not regret it. You settled long ago. And the Course says, long ago, uh, long ago, yes, the old account was settled long ago. Hallelujah, the record's clear today. For he washed my sins away when the old account was settled long ago. Who paid it? Jesus paid it. Matthew 1, 21, Thy shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 1 Corinthians 15 said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Acts 4, 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's why he came. He came to pay the debt that we could not pay and that was too large to pay. Then what did he pay it with? Well, he paid it with his blood. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 1 Peter 1 says, We were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Revelation 1, 5, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He had to have the price. See, he came to pay for our sin. 
But he had to have something to pay with. He had that too. He had his own precious blood. And you say, well, I don't understand what blood's got to do with it. Well, if you understand the teaching on blood in the Bible, Leviticus said the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sins. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for, the, for sins. Now that truth was revealed long before medical science understood it. That the life of the flesh is in the blood. Some years ago I went over to Mission Hospital in Asheville. They had a day where uh, they were explaining open heart surgery uh, to ministers so they'd be able to help families understand it a little better. And uh, I was quite uh, amazed and, and, and blessed by that meeting. The doctors explained how they did that procedure. They cooled the body down till the heart stops. And of course they put, uh, at that time, they've already connected uh, the uh, uh, vessels there to the machine. Before they do any of that, people think, well, a person going to heart surgery... Uh, they're gone for seven or eight hours and they're all that time working on the heart of the heart stopped and that's not true. About a couple hours is about as long as they actually have the heart stopped itself. And they're getting prepared. They're getting the vessels ready out of the legs or sometime out of the chest cavity to do the bypasses with. And, uh, but anyway, they, they do uh, the repair of the machine uh, oxygenates the blood, warms the blood, cleanses the blood, does all the necessary things during that time of surgery when the heart is stopped. And uh, when they get through with the operation, the repairs, then they, they turn that blood back into that heart, that warm blood. And the doctor says when that warm blood hits that heart, that heart begins to quiver. And uh, then that heart will begin to beat. And I thought, what a blessing. God said the life of the flesh is in the blood. You know why it does that? Because that heart that is in a state of death, that that blood, that life-giving blood causes that heart to come alive again. That's where the life is. Life is not in the heart muscle. The life of your body is in the blood. You take the blood out and you'll die. Now, there also there's death in the bloodstream. When Adam sinned against God, his bloodstream was poisoned by sin. And since all of us have the blood of Adam in us, then all of our bloodstreams are poisoned. You see, every drop of blood in the little baby's body comes from the daddy. That's why the Bible said, For as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The mother's blood carries nourishment to the baby's blood, but at no time does the mother's blood and the baby's blood intermix. And so that's why Jesus had to be virgin born. Uh, since he did not have an earthly father, 
His blood was not polluted by sin and death. And therefore his blood was a suitable offering. You take your blood out. You take a cup of your blood out and set it out uh, in a cup there and the next day that blood will, have, will be rotten and decayed because there's death in it. But the blood of Jesus has been in heaven for over 1,900 years and is still not corrupt because his blood was the blood of God. His blood was pure blood, incorruptible blood, and therefore is an offering for sin. Now, if the life of the flesh is in the blood, then what kind of life is in the blood of Christ? Eternal life. And it was given as an offering for sin. That's what he used as payment. Revelation 1, 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Where did he do it? John 19, 17 and 18, he bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one in Jesus in the midst. First Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. We being dead to sin shall live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He went to the tree. He went to the cross. That's why I have problems with these new versions of the Bible. They change, they change the uh, blood to death. You say, what's the difference? There's all the difference in the world. People die all the time without shedding their blood. But there had to be blood shed in order for us to have forgiveness of sins. Not that Jesus did, just died, but he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died a substitutionary death. He died by shedding his blood. He offered his blood as an offering and a payment for sin. That's the difference. If Jesus had died in bed, there would be no salvation. He had to hang on a tree. His blood had to drain from his body. Someone wrote a song some years ago, Just One Drop Will Do. No, it won't. No, it won't. Just one drop of the blood of Jesus will not save anybody. He had to shed his blood. He had to shed all of it in order for us to be saved and redeemed. Now, what does all this mean? First of all, it means that our sins are all gone. Notice they had nothing to pay, so he forgave them. There in verse 48, he said unto her, to the woman there, Thy sins are forgiven. Thy sins are forgiven. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, he talks of, he compares the Old Testament sacrifice to the New Testament sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ. And he said that those priests, there was a remembrance made of sin every year. In a sense, they were saved on credit. Their sins weren't paid for yet. And let, let's just turn there. I want our times, don't, time's getting away, but I, I think it's important that we look at that. Hebrews 10. 
verse 3 says, But in no sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the priests went back behind the veil. There were the incense to smoke it up because God was back there. The, the glory of God dwelt between the cherubims. He cannot observe that and live, so he smokes it up. He offers this, the blood of the bullock for his own sins. Then he has the two goats, and one of them becomes a scapegoat, and the other one is killed. And he takes of that blood, and he goes behind the veil, and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. Under that mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant was the two tables of the Ten Commandments. And the fact is that that was God's holy demand and the fact is the nation had broken the law and were deserving of the judgment of God. But when that blood was put on there, it was a propitiation, an atonement. The word atone means to cover and that mercy seat covered the, the, the law, the broken law, and that blood was on that mercy seat. And like God said in Exodus, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this, but every year, that was a remembrance of the sins made. Every year. And it had to be repeated over and over. But what does he say here in verse 11 and 12? And every priest, Standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down the right hand of God. I'll tell you, when the song says it's paid in full, that means more than our mind can begin to comprehend. Paid in full. You know, you don't see that used much in business anymore. I know when we was in Grenada, uh, I bought a machete there, and they gave me a receipt and stamped it. <laughs> paid in full. That means it's completely paid for. Totally paid for. And that's what the blood of Christ does. The blood of animals could never do that. It was an act of faith, pointing to Christ and illustrating Christ. But he says that he offered one sacrifice for sins forever. John the Baptist in John 1, 29 says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, that was strange. That was new doctrine. The Jews knew nothing about that, about taking it away. All they knew about it being remembered against them again. But John said, This man here will take it away. 1 John 1, 7 said, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I want to tell you, our sins are all gone. God said, I'll not remember them. We may remember them, but He'll not remember them. The blood does that. Then if the, if the sins are gone, then the sentence is gone. He said to this woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. And that's one thing God gives you when you get saved. He gives you peace. That's what he gave me. Go in peace. The sentence, if the sin's gone, then the sentence for the sin is gone. 
The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8.1 said There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. There is no condemnation. There is now no condemnation. We had a man saved years ago in the church in Maiden there. I've used him as illustrations before. But uh, he was a drunk, a bum. He was in his 50s. And that's all he'd ever done was fight and drink and party. His wife, his first wife, had left him because of it. He had remarried. And uh, he tried to get drunk one, one weekend like he always did. And he testified, said, I drank, drank, seemed to couldn't get drunk. He told his wife on Sunday morning, said, we're going to church, like to scared her to death, and said, where we're we going? You know, we don't know any church. And uh, said, I don't know. Let's just get ready and get in the car, and there's church. We'll find one somewhere. So they drove by our church and said, here's the church. Let's stop. I thank God they didn't go in some liberal church. And God saved him. God saved that drunk. He went home, poured all of his beer and his liquor out, changed his life. Anyway, some very men from the church, they visited his first wife, tried to win her to Christ. And they told me about that visit. And uh, she began to tell what a sorry, good-for-nothing rascal he had been, how he had mistreated her and the children and, and been just a drunken bum. And says, you mean to tell me that all he has to do is just get on his knees and ask God to forgive him and all of that is just wiped away. Our men said, that's exactly what we told you. <laughs> that's all you've got to do is just call on God and ask him to forgive you and he'll forgive you. Now, I'm not justifying the wrong and the wickedness that he had committed. But I want to tell you, when, he, when it's paid in full, it's paid in full. There is no condemnation. You say, what about the future? God takes care of that. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, that's the present, and shall not, that's the future, shall not, come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen. It's all paid for. <laughs> Past, present, and future. You say the sins that you've not yet committed. You mean to tell me they're paid for? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He said, well, I can't understand that. Well, I don't understand either. I just enjoy it. And... Uh, uh, you see, when Jesus paid for them, I hadn't committed any of them. There's all future, right? And uh, so they're all paid for. The blood has, is an eternal payment for sin. I'm glad I'm not saved on the installment plan. And listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to give people an excuse to sin. People are saved. They, they don't want to sin. We do sin, but we don't want to. And... Uh, uh, but I'm not, I'm not making payments, you know. Thank God my salvation, you know, isn't alone. <laughs> some, you know what some preachers preach? These preachers preaching that right now 
Yeah, in their churches. You're saved on the installment plan. God forgives you of all of your sin up to that time that you get saved. And then from that point on, it's up to you. What does it mean? It means we spend eternity with the one who paid it. John 17, 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. 1 Thessalonians says in chapter 4, when the Lord comes in the rapture, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You've heard the story about the child that was born blind, and the doctors were able to, uh, to perform an operation, and hopefully the child will be able to see. And so they did the operation, put the bandages on, and each day they would take a bandage off. It had several layers and to allow just a little more light to come into the eye. And gradually, little by little, they took the bandages off, the layers of the bandages. And they finally got to the last bandage. And the doctor, they told the, the young person, said, Now, tomorrow, if the operation has been successful, then you'll be able to see when I open and remove the last bandage. What is the first thing you'd like to see? And the child said, the first one I want to see is the one that opened my eyes. That's what heaven's going to be like for us. The first one we'll want to see is the one that opened our eyes. Verse 50, he said, thy faith has saved thee. Let me close with this story I read. Happened way back in 1829 in Philadelphia. A man by the name of George Wilson had been sentenced to death for robbery and murder. He was given a pardon by President Andrew Jackson at that time. But when the pardon came to him, he refused it, which had been unheard of. And so they took it to the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court handed down this ruling. A pardon is a piece of paper until it is accepted. It is nothing more than a piece of paper. If this man refuses to accept the pardon, then he must hang. And hanged he was. You know, God has given us a book that said there's a pardon for everybody. He said, I've paid the debt. Listen, they had nothing to pay. And the story, the creditors had nothing to pay. I mean, they couldn't pay part of it. They had nothing to pay. So he forgave them. And by the way, that's, that's, how, that's how you have to come to be forgiven. You have to come with Nothing in my hands I bring. But to, for it to be valid, you have to accept it. Let's bow our heads, please.